Sketches from Scripture presents Wandering Wisdom from the Wilderness, a teaching series from the stories of the Torah. Wandering is a teaching series by me, author and filmmaker Paul Andrew Skidmore. In this podcast, we'll be continuing our exploration of the narrative structure and style of the books of the Torah, focusing primarily on the book of Numbers. This study will give us context for a better understanding of Scripture. It will help us trust more in these Scriptures by demystifying them. Taking the stories from the perceived realm of mythology or spiritual mysticism or religious fairy tale and putting them on the ground where they belong. Real words written by real people about real events and real places, all pointing us to a very real God. I hope this podcast reminds you that even in times of wilderness wandering, the Creator of heaven and earth is with you. If you enjoy this podcast, Please share it with others. If you had an open invitation from God to ask for absolutely anything at all, what would you ask for? So really, every time we go into prayer, we have this opportunity to ask God for for anything. But if you were going to, you know, as Moses does here in the desert, if you were going to go face to face with God, get some literal face time with God and ask him for anything, you know, what one thing might you ask for? I have a pretty good idea of, you know, the one or two things that I would ask for. And so you may have those two. You don't have to list them in the comments or anything, just something to think about. While you're thinking about that, if you want to follow along, we're going to be starting off in Numbers 12. I'm going to read tonight from Robert Alter's translation. This is from the Five Books of Moses translation and commentary. And um, I don't like to read big chunks of it just for you know copyright reasons. I'm not really sure what the all the ins and outs of that are. But I do want to read this section tonight from it, a little bit of it anyway. So I'm going to start uh, Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1 and read a little bit, and then we'll skip on over to chapter 13, and we'll read um, that whole story of the scouts going in to spy out the land. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron with her spoke against Moses concerning the Cushite wife he had taken, for he had taken a Cushite wife. And they said, Is it but through Moses alone that the Lord has spoken? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard. And the man Moses was very humble, more than any person on the face of the earth. And the Lord said suddenly to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Go out, the three of you, to the tent of meeting. So remember, Aaron is Moses' brother and Miriam is their sister. And so God calls them all three to the tent of meeting. And the three of them went out and the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And the two of them went out and he said, listen, pray to my words. If your prophet be the Lord's in a vision to him, would I be known in a dream? Would I speak through him? Not so my servant Moses. 
In all my house, he is trusted. Mouth to mouth do I speak with him. And vision, not in riddles. And the likeness of the Lord, he beholds. Why did you not fear to speak against my servant Moses? And the Lord's wrath flared against them. And he went off. And the cloud moved off from over the tent. And look, Miriam was blanched as snow. And Aaron turned to Miriam. And look, she was struck with skin blanch. A little interesting parallel here. They're mad at Moses because he has a Cushite wife. Cush is the region of Ethiopia. And the uh, people native to Ethiopia, of course, are very dark skinned. And so what a fitting punishment that Miriam, who is upset that Moses has this dark skinned wife, her punishment is now that her skin has turned white, as with uh, leprosy. Um, at least that is um, sort of what comes to mind. Some sort of skin disease. And Aaron said to Moses, I beseech you, my Lord, pray, do not put upon us the offense which we did foolishly and by which we offended. Let her not be, pray, like the one dead who, when he comes out of his mother's womb, half his flesh is eaten away. He is um, talking about a, a stillborn child. Very graphic language here. And look at all the words that Aaron uses to Moses in this plea. And Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, God, pray. Heal her, pray. In other words, God, please heal her, please. In both this translation and in the original Hebrew, five words, five syllables, nothing extraneous. And the Lord said to Moses, had her father spat in her face, she would not be shamed seven days, be shut up outside the camp and afterwards would be gathered back in. And so Miriam was shut up outside the camp seven days and the people did not journey onward until Miriam was gathered back in. And afterward, the people journeyed on from Hazaroth, and they camped in the wilderness of Paran. So uh, Moses's authority is challenged by his own family. Uh, again, the discipline has to happen in front of everyone. Why? Because the sin is happening in front of everyone. It's kind of like with Nadab and Abihu. What they did happened in, in sight of everyone and was defining something to the people that was incorrect. And God took care of it publicly and visibly. He does the same thing here again, takes care of this challenge to Moses's authority publicly and visibly and reminds them, Moses is my guy. You know, you two maybe have given been given some things to do here and there, but Moses is my guy. I talk to him face to face. Prophets I come to in dreams, but Moses I talk to face to face. And we see Moses's humility. We see it again here in um the end of this story. So we're going on now into uh, 13 and 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send you men that they scout the land of Canaan, which I'm about to give to the Israelites, one man each for his father's tribe, every one of them a chieftain. And Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran by the Lord's word, all of them men, heads of the Israelites they were. And these are their names for the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. For the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. For the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun. For the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Rapu. 
For the tribe of Zebulun, Gedeel, son of Sodi. For the tribe of Joseph, the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, son of Susi. For the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gemali. For the tribe of Asher, Sether, son of Michael. For the tribe of Naphtali, Navbi, son of Vafsi. For the tribe of Gad, Geul, son of Machai. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to scout the land. And Moses called Hosea, son, the son of Nun, Joshua. So the names here, uh, Hosea is what it says in our English Bible. Hosea is kind of the Jewish pronunciation. It means salvation. And he changes his name to Joshua, or in the Hebrew, it's Yoshea. So it's very similar to his original name, but it adds the, the uh, here the J-O or the sort of that Yo sound at the beginning. And that is an, um, a word which means God. And so he changes his name from salvation, Hosea, to God is our salvation. The Lord is our salvation, Yoshea. And you'll recognize Yoshea, Yeshua, right? Joshua, right? It's where we get the term Joshua. But Yeshua was also the name of a rabbi from Nazareth around, oh, 30 AD or so. The name means the Lord is our salvation. Continuing on somewhere around verse 17. And Moses sent them out to scout the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up this way through the Negev, and you shall go up into the high country. And you shall see the land, what it is like, and the people that dwells in it, are they strong or slack? Are they few or many? And what is the land in which they dwell? Is it good or bad? And what are the towns in which they dwell? Are they in open settlements or in fortresses? And what is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? And you shall muster strength and take of the fruit of the land. And the season was the season for the first ripe grapes. And they went up and scouted the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob at Lebo Hamath. And they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron. And there were Ahiman, Shesai, and Talmai, offspring of the giant. Uh, your version might say Anakites. That word Anak, the root of Anakites, Anak means giant. And so in the Hebrew, it sort of says offspring of Anak or sons of Anak. And so some translations make that a people and call it the Anakites. Might be better to talk about it as the offspring of the giant, because later um, we're going to see that they um, connect it with the idea of the Nephilim, which we talked about a little bit back in the Genesis series. We'll get to that in a second. The offspring of the giant. And Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. We think that might be the modern day, um, what we know, what we know as Tanis. And they came to Wadi Eskol. Uh, Wadi is like a stream. And Eskol means uh, grape. They're the type of grapes that grow there. So um, I know these names can be very difficult for us because this isn't our language. But imagine if they'd said, um, and they came to Grape Creek. I mean, that sounds like someplace in Bradley County, right? Okay. So they come to Grape Creek and they cut off from there a branch and one cluster of grapes and bore it on a pole with two men and of the pomegranates and of the dates. That place was called Wadi Eskol because of the cluster the Israelites cut off there. And they came back from scouting the land at the end of 40 days. 
And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the community of Israelites at the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the community and showed them the fruit of the land. And they recounted to him and said, we came into the land to which you sent us. And it's actually flowing with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. But mighty is the people that dwells in the land. And the towns are fortified and very big. And also the offspring of the giant we saw there. Amalek dwells in the Negev land. And the Hittite and the Jebusite and the Amorite dwell in the high country. And the Canaanite dwells by the sea and by the Jordan. And Caleb silenced the people around Moses and said, We will surely go up and take hold of it, for we will surely prevail over it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they put forth an ill report to the Israelites of the land they had scouted, saying, The land through which we passed to scout is a land that consumes those who dwell in it. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of huge measure. And there did we see the Nephilim, sons of the giant from the Nephilim. And we were in our own eyes like grasshoppers. And so we were in their eyes. And so now it's gone from, hey, there's some big people there to calling on this this idea of the Nephilim, which it appears already by this time, the idea of these, the fallen ones, which is what Nephilim means, the fallen ones. Seems like there was some idea developed by this time in the Israelite people that um, those fallen ones from back before the time of Noah were uh, giants for some reason. We know that they were um, giants in terms of story. When we looked at the Genesis series, we saw that they were um, men of renown. We saw that they were warriors, right? And so in the same way that we think of superheroes or even movie stars, I mean, don't you think of people, I mean, um, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean, we think of him as like a a big, tall guy because he's in all these action films. And, you know, he's like, I think he's somewhere between like 5'11 and 6'2. You know, I mean, he's, I guess 6'2, maybe he's kind of tall, but it's not not as tall as we kind of think of him as, you know, Tom Cruise is in all these action movies. I mean, he's like 5'8 or something, you know, he's like, he's kind of a tiny guy. And so when they think back about these men of renown and these, these warriors, they think of them as just these giants and that develops just over time into sort of this legend that they're, they're these, uh, these giant people roaming the earth, you know, and, and even though that was pre-Noah, and everybody except Noah's family was wiped out in the flood. If they know about the Nephilim, then they have to know about Noah, right? Um, but they think the Nephilim still live as these giant people that they have seen. So you can see how they're just totally terrified and dramatic over this report. Let's go to chapter 14. And all the community lifted their voice and put it forth, and the people wept on that night. And the Israelites complained against Moses and against Aaron and against all the community. And and all the community said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or in this wilderness, would that we had died. So, So their first complaint was, wow, we really had it better in Egypt. We'd rather live in Egypt than die in this desert. And now... Now they say, hey, we'd rather die in either place than go and be killed in this land that God has promised us. They just don't seem to learn, do they? Continuing on somewhere around verse three. And why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our women and our little ones will become bounty. Why would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? 
And they said one man to another, let us put up ahead and return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the community of Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from those who had scouted the land, tore their garments. It's obviously a sign of sorrow, rending the garments, especially when you probably don't have that many garments, right? Because you're out in the wilderness. It's not like you can go buy a new garment, right? And they said to all the community of Israelites, saying, the land through which we pass to scout the land is very, very good. If the Lord favors us, he will bring us to this land and give it to us, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and you do not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their shade has turned from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the community meant to pelt them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. So they were so afraid they were going to stone them to death, Joshua and Caleb. All they were doing was trusting what the Lord had promised them, what the Lord had promised the Israelite people, what the Lord had promised the 12 tribes, what the Lord had promised the 12 patriarchs, what the Lord had promised Jacob, what the Lord had promised Isaac, what the Lord had promised Abraham that they would inherit this land, that they would live on this land. They didn't believe. So God comes down, appears at the tent of meeting, stops them from um, stoning to death Joshua and Caleb and possibly Moses and Aaron. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not trust me? With all the signs that I have done in their midst, let me strike them with the plague and dispossess them, and I shall make you a nation greater and mightier than they. This is a pretty serious uh, proposal that God has on the table here. Let me just wipe everybody out, Moses, and I'll start over with you. You'll be the new Noah. You'll be the new Abraham. I'll start over with you. And what does Moses say in response to that? And Moses said to the Lord, and the Egyptians will hear that through your power, uh, yeah, and, and the Egyptians will hear that through your power, you brought up this people from their midst and will say to the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, the Lord, are in the midst of this people for eye to eye, you are seen Lord and your cloud stands over them. And in a pillar of cloud, you go before them by day and in a pillar of fire by night and you would put to death. This people as a single man? And the nations who have heard rumor of you will say, saying, from the Lord's inability to bring this people to the land that he swore to them, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. So uh, the language here is a little poetic in this translation, but you hear what Moses is saying. God says, I'm going to strike them all dead and start over with you, Moses. And Moses says, but Lord, Egypt has seen everything that you've done. The Amalekites that we fought against and, and won because of you. They, they've seen what you have done. The people that live around us, the Erevrav, the Rifraf that are with us, the foreigners that are here with us, they've seen what you have done. The people in the land in which we're headed, they know about us. They, they, they know what you have done. Everyone has seen the cloud. Everyone has seen the fire at night. It can be seen from far away. And if you kill us all now, if you kill all the Israelites now, what will they say about you, Lord? They'll say that you couldn't do what you said you would do. 
He continues, And so let the Lord's power, pray, be great, as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in kindness, bearing crime and trespass, yet he does not wholly acquit, reckoning the crime of fathers with sons with the third generation and the fourth. Forgive, pray, the crime of this people through your great kindness, and as you have borne with this people from Egypt till now. And the Lord said, I have forgiven according to your word. And yet, as I live, let the Lord's glory fill all the earth. For all the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have tried me ten times over and have not heeded my voice, they shall never see the land that I swore to their fathers. And all who despise me shall not see it. But my servant Caleb, inasmuch as there was another spirit with him, and he followed after me, I shall bring him to the land to which he comes, and his seed will take hold of it. And the Amalekite and the Canaanite dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and journey onward in the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long for this evil community that raises against me the complaints of the Israelites? That which they complain against me, I have heard. Say to them, as I live, the Lord declares, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I do to you. In this wilderness, your corpses will fall and all your reckoned ones from 20 years old and up, for you have complained against me. You shall never come into the land about which I lifted up my hand, vowing to make you dwell within it, except for Joshua, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun, and your little ones, of whom you said they would become bounty, I shall bring them, and they will know the land that you cast aside. And your own corpses will fall on this wilderness, and your sons will be herdsmen in the wilderness forty years, and they will bear your whoring until the corpse come to an end in the wilderness. So God's giving them some pretty strict discipline, pretty strict charge here. And he's saying, okay, you feared that you would die and not get to live in the land. Well, if that's the fantasy world that you want to live in so much, your wish is granted. You'll wander in the desert 40 years and you'll die there. Oh, you were afraid that your children would be taken into the promised land and they would live there forever as uh, the, 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 the bounty, the spoils of the inhabitants. Well, if that's the fantasy world you want to live in, then your wish is granted and your children will inhabit this land, but there won't be anyone there to own them. Instead, they will own the land. They will bury your bodies and receive the promise that you should have had. God's justice is always very exact to uh, the punishment and the punishment always fits uh, the, the sin, the trespass. Uh, somewhere around verse 36. And the men whom Moses had sent to scout the land who came back and set all the community complaining against him put forth an ill report about the land. The men who put forth that ill and evil report of the land died in the scourge before the Lord. Those 10 men died right away. And Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh were left alive from those men who had gone to scout the land. Once again, the sin was public and the discipline was public. The sin caused the whole nation to fear. And so the punishment was meant to restore their faith in God. And Moses spoke these words to all the Israelites 
and the people mourned deeply. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the mountaintop, saying, Here we are, and we shall go up to the place of the Lord, uh, that place that the Lord said, for we have offended. So now they're saying, okay, now we do believe God, and so now we're going to go take the land. But Moses says, why is it you are overstepping the Lord's word when it will not succeed? <laughs> In other words, you're, you're, you're not going to win trying to go against what God said. God's given his punishment. God has said what's going to happen. It's too late. Do not go up. For the Lord is not in your midst, lest you be routed before your enemies. For the Amalekite and the Canaanite are there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword. For you have not turned back from the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. And they strove to go up to the mountaintop, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and Moses did not budge from the midst of the camp. And the Amalekite and the Canaanite who dwelled on that mountain came down and struck them and shattered them all the way to Hormah. Okay, so that's the story of the scouting with a few notes um, interspersed there in between. So I want to go back and think about this question here. If you had an open invitation from God to ask for absolutely anything at all, what would you ask for? I asked this at the, the top of the, the stream. If you were face-to-face -face with God, you can ask for one thing. What would you ask for? I know what you know. my answer would be. Um, you might want to know what my answer would be. And I'd say mind your own business. But, you know, it'd be big life stuff, honestly. It'd be about family. It'd be about my creative work that I want to do. Um. Moses has a relationship that is face to face with God. And did, did you see how he responded? The Israelite people, they want to go back to Egypt. They fear their women and children will become property exploited in the new land. They're forgetting that Egypt had the decree to kill all the Hebrew baby boys, leaving women and little girls to be exploited by their enslavers in Egypt. Israelites are very myopic, very short-sighted. Joshua and Caleb come along. They're different. See, they saw the same mountains and hills. They see the same fortified towns. They see the same giants, the same big people, but they trust the Lord. Caleb is described as wholehearted. The Lord will say he follows me wholeheartedly. His heart is not divided in many places. It's not divided between Egypt and the wilderness and the promised land. It's not divided between um, personal ambition and family values and what the nation needs. His heart is not divided. It's wholehearted. It's all trusting in the Lord. And Moses, Moses is his trusted servant, the Lord's trusted servant, face to face. He's not concerned about being an Abraham. He's offered the chance to be the new Abraham, to be the new Noah. And he turns it down. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He doesn't even acknowledge what the Lord has offered him. He doesn't even mention it. His number one concern, his number one request is about God's glory, God's fame, God's renown, God's reputation. That's what that word glory means. The word means light, but it's like when you go to a, a when you, my, my cousin Sam works at the Tivoli and you get the sign out front, right? 
and people they get they get glory because their their name is up there in lights, right? We talk about seeing your name in lights, right? That's what glory means. It's about fame, renown. It's about people all over knowing about you and what you've done. That's Moses's first concern: is God's glory, the Lord's glory, His fame, His renown, His reputation in the world to all the other people. Because remember. Abraham was going to be a blessing. His seed was going to be a blessing to the nations, to the whole world. This wasn't just about uh, um, a blessed family of Abraham's descendants. It was about Abraham's descendants had a charge to be a blessing to the nations. We read before, just a few chapters ago, that they were going to be a holy priesthood, right? They were going to be priests to the world. That's what Moses cares about. And Moses approaches God, not by demanding anything, but instead reminding God who he is. Not that God needs reminding. Remember, this discussion is all taking place in, in public view, right? So when God changes his mind about something, it's not God being uh, capricious or changing his mind. It's about the people seeing what God wants them to see. What he wants them to see is that he has the power to wipe them all out. He has the power to start over with Moses and that the person that he has chosen in Moses is so humble and wholehearted that he doesn't even acknowledge that possibility, but instead, but instead goes and prays for them. Intercessory prayer. Remember, we talked about the prophet being the intercessory prayer back in the Genesis series. And here we see Moses doing that for the people. And he uses the Lord's own words. Remember, remember, God, you're a God of love. It's not that God needs reminding who he is. It's that all the people listening, all the readers, all the people listening need reminding of who God is in the Lord's own words. Moses is not concerned about right now. Moses is concerned about Paul Skidmore in 2020 reading this on Facebook Live to who knows whoever is listening. Moses is hyperopic. He is farsighted. The Israelites are myopic. They're short-sighted. Moses is hyperopic. He's far-sighted. So when we go back to that question, if you had an open invitation from God to ask for absolutely anything at all, what would you ask for? In the light of this story, it's a very challenging question because I know the things that I would ask for, and they're all about me. They're all selfish they're all about my life. Oh, I'd use them to bless other people, of course, but they're first about me. But that's not what Moses asks for. Uh, I came across an article a couple of years ago uh, called, It Might Be Time to Rethink How We Pray. And I'll just read a little section from it here. Uh, it might be time to change the way you pray is the name of the article. It's from Relevant Magazine. If you had an open invitation from God to ask for absolutely anything at all, what would you ask for? This is where we got the question of the evening. Would you ask for a flourishing business, fame, more money, a romantic partner, more influence, or perhaps a baby? Given our time right now, we could probably add a number of things to that list, right? Back to work our health, um, restoration around our town, our city, our county. Here's what Psalm 2, this is the article uh, continuing. 
Psalm 2.8 says, this is the Lord speaking, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth as your possession. Now, just curious, any of you watching, when I asked you if you could ask the Lord for anything, what would it be? Did anyone answer, oh, the nations? I ask for the nations. I ask for the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what I'll ask for. Did anybody ask for that? I don't know many people that would, sadly. And I know that that wouldn't be the first thing that came to my mind, sadly. I I do have a couple of friends in my life, one in particular that I'm thinking of, who would be embarrassed if I mentioned his name and he's not watching now, but um, he's actually uh, stuck overseas because he went to a foreign country in a dangerous culture, a very anti-Christian culture to learn how to uh, evangelize within that culture. And when all the airport shutdowns started, he became stuck over there and he's, he's still there. He's uh, doing okay. He's with other Christians and uh, I'm able to text with him. And so I'm able to keep up with him and I'm super proud of him. He's somebody that I think if he could see the Lord face to face, I think that, I think that he would pray for the nations. I think that he would pray for the uttermost parts of the earth. And I know that not because of the things that come out of his mouth, but because of what his body does by getting on a plane and flying to an unknown country that he's never been to before, even though it may mean being stuck there, being in prison there, being killed there. The nations, would any of us ask for that? So let's just look at that one more time. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth as your possession. The article goes on. Are you also struck by something in this verse? God says to ask him for the nations. Why do a lot of us feel comfortable asking God for help on an exam, but we don't dare ask him to increase our influence to reach beyond our own country? Wow. Let's go to the New Testament. Look what the Lord says will happen just before he is um, ascending into the sky. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and disciple. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples of who? All nations. And this one from Acts chapter one. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The nations, that's what the Lord wants to give us in our prayer time. That's what we should be asking for. What does that mean? 
It's, it's about having the same humility that Moses had. It's about having the same ambition that Moses had. The ambition Moses had is not for himself, but is to see the Lord have a good name in all the earth. So uh, I think sometimes we don't do this because we worry about persecution. I mentioned my friend overseas and um, he's aware of it, but it's not necessarily something that he uh, worries about in particular. Uh, I clipped this article from the Babylon Bee, one of my favorite periodicals. It's a Christian satire site, kind of like uh, if you're familiar with The Onion, but that's uh, for Christians. I always post uh, really funny things, post some political stuff too, but the religious stuff always makes me laugh. So here is uh, American believer suffers brutal persecution in form of occasional ribbing from coworkers. And just a sample of the article. Christians all around the world suffer persecution and even face death every day, Beezer told reporters Friday. Who am I to think I'm any different? I count all suffering as joy and I endure it for the sake of Christ. At publishing time, Beezer confirmed that he had been approached by a literary agent who hopes to record his trials in an inspirational book for distribution into countries like China, Iran, and Somalia, so Christians abroad can get a glimpse of what it's like to truly suffer for Christ. We, uh, I think I had a little drop out there, but we should be back. Um, we suffer this next to nothing, you know, uh, in terms of persecution, we get made fun of, uh, people ask us questions. We don't know how to answer. People dismiss us. Um, think that we're stupid or it's like, it's so small compared to what goes on in the rest of the world. In China right now, they're tearing down church buildings. Uh, in North Korea, Christians are imprisoned and, um, I think owning a Bible is punishable by death. Um, in Iran, for uh, evangelizing, proselytizing, uh, many people are put in the worst prisons. And, you know, a lot of them, they don't ask, uh, pray for this not to happen to us. That's not what they ask for. In fact, they say, don't pray for us. They say, pray with us. Pray that we will remain strong in the face of persecution. Um, we've talked about some persecution stories before, and you can go back and, and listen to those. I want to leave you with a couple of organizations tonight that um, will give you some information on some persecution going on in the world. And I think that they're worth looking at because it really puts into perspective uh, how we have it here in the United States. So one of those is Open Doors. Open Doors USA. You can go to opendoorsusa.org. Um, one thing that they do uh, that I like is they have the world watch list and they have converted the information from the world watch list into a monthly prayer calendar. So they have the world watch list, which is um, a list of the, the most dangerous nations to be a Christian and they have them ranked and uh, why it's so dangerous. And they have a little information about all of them. And so you can find that on their, on their site, a lot of good information there, but they also have this monthly prayer calendar and you can download it as a PDF. I think there's also an app that you can set reminders uh, to pray every day. 
And uh, basically, they just have you pray for a different nation every day. And it's kind of grouped into, you know, for one week, you'll play, you'll pray about churches. For one week, you'll pray about the the, the preachers and pastors. And um, one week, you'll pray about women because uh, women have it especially difficult in many of these nations. Uh, one week, you'll pray about uh, discipleship. One week, you'll pray just for believers in general. You can kind of see the way that it's laid out here. So um, there are many uh, organizations that deal specifically with uh, persecution and persecuted Christians. Um, this is one that I, that I follow and, and one that I, I look at that, uh, uh prayer list, uh, occasionally. And it's always just a good reminder to have something like that around, but overall, uh, in addition to being aware of the persecution exists, we should be asking ourselves this question about our own lives. What's something about my life that I can make about who God is rather than about what I want? That is the heart of what Moses does. We see his humility in chapter 12. We see the impudence of the Israelites in chapter 13. And we see Moses's uh, desire for God's glory. We see his humility again in chapter 14. And when God offers him the chance to be the new Abraham, he instead makes it about who God is rather than what he wants. What's something about our life that we can make about who God is rather than about what I want. Sketches from Scripture is a production of Parabolos, the production company of author and filmmaker Paul Andrew Skidmore. Subscribe to this podcast and more at skidmore.substack.com.